What's up? How you doing? Shane Raymer here, That Sober Guy Podcast. As if you didn't know, because you already had to click on it to hear the shit. What is happening today? I have a great episode for you. I know I say that every time. That means every episode's great. But this episode is very special to my heart. Because as uh, if you don't know, one of my passions is not just podcasting, but it's music. It's uh, playing music. I'm a musician, but it's also the music scene and part of where, part of who I am in a sense, the punk rock scene, the hardcore scene, um, hip hop, everything from when I was young, a, a little kid, I remember seeing the band Heart. That was the first concert I ever went to. And I remember being, I don't know, I couldn't have been more than five or six. And I remember just thinking in my head, like, I'm going to do that one day. Like I'm going to, I'm going to play music one day. Um, so the guest that I'm having on right now is Justin Coote, who's a good friend of mine. We're from the same, same, uh, town here in Vacaville in, uh, Northern California. And we haven't seen each other in a long time, but when we talked, it was just like, just like we, you know, had saw each other yesterday, which was pretty damn cool. And the reason this episode is so special to me is because we really talked about not only living a sober lifestyle, but we also talked about the music scene here in Vacaville and how that branched out in the in the mid to late 90s and what a really big piece of our lives it was as younger kids growing up and how it evolved into into our lives today. And so we talked a lot about bands like Link 80 and bands like Papa Roach who are from our hometown here in Vacaville, who we started watching when, you know, when they just started out. And Justin himself um, was really one of the one of the pioneers in this town, at least, of starting the uh, the first hardcore band. They were called Execution Style here in Vacaville. And that set the tone for this whole new straight edge movement and hardcore scene which, um, you know, kind of went on to take on a life of its own. I mean, of course, there was there was always, you know, there was bands before this, of course. We, we talked about bands like Minor Threat, um, you know, these old old punk rock bands, uh, Black Flag, bands like that that kind of started this whole DIY uh, type of movement and this whole attitude of kind of fuck the establishment and we're young kids and we have voices too and we're also going to show you that we don't need to, to use drugs and alcohol um, and we can still do this hardcore music. And what are, what's your excuse to kind of put a label on us then? What are you going to say? Well, you can't, you can't say we're druggies or we're, you know, we're alcoholics or we're, we're bad people because we're sober. We're doing this. This is the high we get. This is the fun that we have and we're able to do it in a sober manner. And so that, that whole scene right there was just such a big part of, uh, of Justin's life uh, definitely in his decision at such a young age when he was 17 to get sober. And, uh, today he's, you know, he's a father, he's a husband. Uh, he's also, uh, the front man and singer for the band Alcatraz. They've toured all over the world. Um, they've toured with bands like earth crisis, uh, first blood terror, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the sworn vengeance. That's another band that just popped in my head too. We talked a little bit about those guys back in the day, and and Justin was helped to book, uh, was helping to book these bands. Hoods, Sacto Hoods, of course. I mean, that's another, um, that's another well known 
uh, especially in this area and worldwide. A lot of these bands go over to Europe. They go to Japan. As Justin, you'll hear him talk about a little bit. Um, but what a what a just a cool interview. Uh, really, really fun. Um, you know, a lot of good things to say. Not only just about music, but about living a sober lifestyle and about the straight edge lifestyle and um, a lot of other good shit. So I'm excited to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. If you have any questions, comments, or short stories for the podcast, please email me at sobriety at that sober And please leave us a rating or a comment on iTunes. It helps rank the show. Today's episode is brought to you by audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com slash that sober guy podcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from, from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You get a free book of your choice, you get a free 30 day trial, and you help support that sober guy podcast. So when you do that, uh, much thanks to you, and it is very appreciated. So after uh, after the intro, I'm going to play actually a song from Alcatraz, and uh, it's off of their Smile Now, Cry Later album, which I found out later on in the episode was only released in Japan and in Europe. So you can find it on YouTube, um, and you can also hit up Justin. He did leave his contact info in there if you need more information on how to find any of Alcatraz's music. Um, this song is called Get Fucked. This is Shane Raver, and you're listening to That Sober Guy Podcast on Recovery Radio. Living one day at a time for a sober, healthy, happy life. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com. And now, let's start the show! What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening. We have a great episode for you tonight. My good friend who I haven't spoken with in quite some time, um, Justin Coot, is with us tonight. Justin is a father, a newly, newly found father, husband, uh, also the front man for the band Alcatraz, 
And we go back a long time, shared a lot of music uh, uh, together when we were younger and uh, went to school together. And now, man, we're reconnected in that Sober Guy podcast. So uh, what's up, Justin? How you doing, man? Pretty good, man. That, good to be talking to you. Yes, yes. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you uh, took the time to come on the show tonight and talk a little bit about, uh, about the sober lifestyle. Maybe we'll talk a little music. We'll talk a little, uh, a little fatherhood, all that good stuff. Um, so let's kind of, let's kind of bring it back for a minute, man. So when did we, we kind of, we kind of met, I don't know what, 15, 16, maybe somewhere around there. I want to say middle school. Age wise. Yeah. Age wise. What was it about? We were about 14, 15. Yeah, at least. I'm thinking seriously 15. Yeah, I think it had to be. We would sit up in Justin's room and we would drink 40s and we would do freestyle sessions. And yep, uh, yeah, that, that was just some crazy <laughs> times, man. And I, I definitely, okay, I credit you for, for kind of getting me interested and started in the whole punk rock scene too. You introduced me to Link 80. I remember you had the old record and you said, yeah, check these guys out. It's Link, you know, Link 80. And uh, I checked them out, and like I became a fan, you know, real quick. And I became uh, uh, Nick Trainer was actually just a really big influence for me. So thanks for introducing me to them, man. That was fucking, oh, no problem. Yeah, um, I like spreading that around, you know, especially yeah. in a small town like where we were. Oh Something yeah, like that was big. It it was, man. And 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 we kind of started. We got into that into that uh, punk rock and newfound kind of metal uh hip-hop all all that that whole time in the 90s was just such a fun time for going to local shows and going to shows Definitely. out in the bay area and sacramento and um what are uh what were some of the things that got you into that and like can you talk a little bit about that yeah for sure um so two things weirdest things ever but uh one was the beastie boys so my my little brother gave me a Beastie Boys VHS of them playing live, and they covered this punk rock song, something I'd never heard before. And at the very end of the song, Mike D goes, "Yo, that was a cover by a song called Minor Threat called Screaming on a Wall." So I yeah. immediately went to all the back of the record stores that did not have anything even close to that, <laughs> and realized that I have to go all the way to Berkeley or San Francisco to pick up that record, which at that time was only on vinyl. So I went and I picked that up, and that was pretty much my intro and it was the only thing I had and then uh, that same year for Christmas my little brother again went to uh, um, what was it the warehouse records or whatever yeah. and picked out a random cassette tape out of the uh, out of the rock section uh-huh. and it ended up being a black flag cassette tape oh no way yeah so Some between Henry those Rollins. two things that just got me going <laughs> that's I, I crazy it, I was like man Motley Crue and all these bands have nothing on these guys like there was so much like anger and basically a lot of what I was feeling, you know, something yeah. I could relate to. And plus I'd already started skating, so, you know, two things always kind of go hand in hand for some reason. Yeah, and I, I always think back to in that, you know, like you said, Black Flag, like Minor Threat, like that shit was real at the time. That was real, like you said, those feelings of anger, the feelings that we felt growing up. Um, you know, just as kids, as, as younger uh, boys turning into young men and stuff, too. Um, the Motley Crew and all that stuff. I mean, may, maybe it had its time and place, but it was so like, um, uh, what's the word? It was, it, it was, was like so, so ho- yeah, it was yeah. so Hollywood too. You know, it was, it was just fake. like, yeah, it was yeah. totally fake. Trying to sell me on some image. Yeah, and the only image that these dudes, these, you know, the, the, the early punk rock bands had is they were just themselves. They just yeah. looked like a bunch of kids skating around, being angry, you know, doing graffiti, and literally just thinking about 
reality, the reality of the situation of like the world. And I was like, that is for me. That's just what I'm about, you know? Yeah. And they were, they were talking about real, real life issues and real life things going on. And, um, I actually, have you seen any of that, um, the, the documentary, uh, that Sonic Highways with Foo Fighters, because the what's it? What's uh the singer Ian something from Minor Threat? I can't remember his last name. Ian McKay. Ian McKay. He was yep. on there, dude, on one of them, and he he talked a lot about that, about how they, you know, back in the day, um, they just they did everything their, themselves. Everything was DIY. Like everything was just about the whole cause of, 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 and it was about the music too. It was about the message. It was about the like the brotherhood and shit. And that there's something Absolutely. about that that's just so fucking cool. You know, it's so real. Um, it so, was. It really was. I, I, the only thing was being stuck in a town where it didn't exist. You know? ex- ex- yeah. It well. Okay. I so, had it on record, but I didn't have it in front of me. I didn't have it as part of my life enough. So, I so this is the major inspiration, you know. How does that transition though into like a band like Papa Roach, who came from our hometown of Vacaville, who then starts out and kind of helps bring you know all these things that are going on? They they kind of created a scene here in Vacaville, and you know we started going to those shows and stuff. And oh that, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was like a good foundation, or at least I know it was for myself to like get introduced to this whole new world of like of just just straight up like you could you could get all your animosity all your anger all your aggression and still like have fun doing it at these shows you know it was just so cool as a 16 year old kid oh definitely definitely i mean it, it made a uh, it, it made back into a fun place to be for a while there it was great it but did anyway, I mean, we didn't have we didn't have next to anything there but i like can tell you i used to play soccer with jacoby's little brother from papa roach and that's literally how i got into papa roach i was I can't remember what age. I was young. Uh-huh. And he gave me a flyer because I was listening in my head, like my Walkman, cassette Walkman. He was like, <laughs> oh, he's like, rock music? My brother's got a band. What do they call it? It's like Papa Roach. Like, oh, that's like the worst name I've ever heard. <laughs> like, Papa Roach? The hell kind of band is that? So I went, and I took my little brother with me, too. And man, when they hit the stage, that's back when they used to sound like Primus mixed yeah, with like, yeah. no more. It was like potatoes like for days, Christmas. Like, oh, my God. And yeah, it was totally, it was chaotic, and everybody was jumping around, acting wacky, and having a good time. Uh-huh. But a couple of the bands that opened for them were also, like, local area bands. I think, like, Spot the Dog was one of them. Greg uh, Hansen, I think was his name, uh-huh. was in that band. And uh, a couple other guys. And, I don't know, I guess I never felt um, so, like, welcomed in Vacaville in a place where it seemed like everyone who was there felt the same way I did. Like, we were yeah. all a bunch of outsiders because we were, like, the rockers or whatever we yeah. were being called in school, you know? Yeah. And here we were, and there was, a, there was enough of us to, like, be a group and to, like, make friends. And before you knew it, you know, I'm just getting out of these kids that didn't even go to the same school I went to just because we happened to, like, like Papa Roach and go to yeah. the 3L community you know, to go see bands and mosh around and skate everywhere, you know? It was great. Well, and, if, and then if you really look at I mean, that branched out to growing into the part of the people that we are today i think too i mean look at you that branched out for you to to berkeley to san francisco um you know just it it really opened up a lot of doors just by that having that set foundation at the time as we got older you know what i mean and everyone Absolutely. wants to feel like they like they belong to something i think that's their you know everyone wants to be a part of something whether it's a, a rock sure. show or a, or a hip-hop show or a um uh, some sort of group you know so yeah that yeah. that was just man what a great time if there's one time i think i could if i could like turn turn the clock back it'd be at three oaks just just getting getting crazy in that big room in there um, oh yeah those are the best times 
jalopy taco stand. Oh, yeah, I forgot that demo tape. For real. <laughs> do you serious. really? Are you serious? I do. Damn. I held on to all that stuff. Cabal Disco Noise. Oh, wow. Um, Salmon? I used to book there. Salmon. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I told I told you, Kobe, this when I um, when I talked to him at the at the church. Is that the first show I saw was them, and uh, Ray Penny took me, and it was it was them, and it was Absolute, and they were in the Live Music Center. Remember that old little hole in the wall um, in the I little remember. strip mall? Oh yeah, it, yeah. I mean, just like I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is this right now? And I remember Ray's like, dude, you just you just gotta you gotta loosen up. You gotta kind of just get into it. And I, you know, here I am, I'm this 15 year old kid, just like, dude, what the fuck is going on right now? But man, just like, it was so cool. I get excited just talking about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, me too. Same thing. That's why I'm always <laughs> looking at books. Cause I still got like VHSs of a bunch of those shows and stuff. Uh-huh. For nostalgia, you know, I'll pop it on and me and my little brother just look at it like, damn, man, we really had some, some awesome thing going on there. Yeah. Like, it didn't last, but while it was, while it was going, it was awesome. It was. We took advantage of it. Full on advantage. I mean, it wasn't long after that that I was booking shows there and stuff, you know? What was life like for you when you were when you were drinking? I know that out of you know, out of all of us that have all kind of been friends and known each other for a long time, you were one of the ones that got sober at a very young age. And so if you can, real quick, take us back to like, you know, the the early days of your drinking habits, um, and what it was that that made you decide finally, you know what? Like I'm, I don't want to live this lifestyle. I want to, I want to live a lifestyle free of alcohol and drugs. The, the crazy thing is, it, it like started to get like started for me around like seventh grade. To be honest, uh-huh. and I, I wasn't the only one too. And um, you know, I don't want to like um, make excuses for for some of the the things that got me into it. But I, I can tell you honestly that I was bored. I I always felt that there was something more out there and that that girl did not have us really small yeah. town like kind of my mentality of of, you know, how do we make our own fun? The quickest way was to just get fucked up. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we used to do all sorts of crazy shit. And, you know, I I met up with like more than a few like punk rockers and stuff back then and literally we would do stupid things like take um prescription pills out of your parents' cabinet, <laughs> mix them all together, and everybody would take two. No joke. Oh, Start wow. walking down the street. It was like a grab bag. It was, it was, yeah, so bad. Whatever pills were there. And then sometimes, you know, people would have, like, some crazy reaction where they'd feel real good, and sometimes you just get sick and throw up everywhere. And it didn't matter to us, but we were just trying to escape. You know, what we saw was a, was a, a poor reality, but, you know, looking back when you're a kid, you know, what do you know about the world anyway? So, you know, we thought we were in hell living in that small little town. Yeah. So we would do stuff like that. And then uh, the other thing, too, that I think a lot of people, a lot of people were kind of vocal with me early on about my drinking, how it always seemed like it was never a social thing. It was more of like a Justin gets blacked out and passes out kind of thing. Yeah, just to get and, fucked up. Yeah, literally. Like around, at least by eighth grade, that was me, man. I'd, I'd walk in with like Mad Dog or a Southern Comfort bottle and people would ask for, you know, glasses of it and I'd say, no, this is my bottle. <laughs> like, I'm going to drink this I am one. not sharing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not for any of you. Yeah. Literally, this party is more about me just like falling asleep in a car somewhere than it is about <laughs> You know, being friends with you in any way, way whatsoever. So it was, uh, it was crazy. Yeah, I, you know, I'd steal liquor from my mom's medicine cabinet and mix it with orange juice or fill up uh, one of those water bottles with the vodka. That was my biggest one because at school you could do that and you could get away with it. Yeah, well, yeah. You know? Oh yeah, I remember. But if you, you saw it, you could until certain kids would get busted. You're like, oh shit, you know, they're on to us. Yeah, um, 
it was a pretty wild time. I, I can tell you too, like when I when I got into like the hardcore scene and stuff and started meeting kids that were were like straight edge and sober and stuff like that, I was still drinking pretty heavily. And even though I had that that group, you know, that would definitely support me easily if I would have stopped drinking, I used to write in people's yearbooks. I remember the end of that um towards the end of that freshman year, I was writing the day I go straight edge is the day I die in people's yearbooks. Really? Yeah, I've had uh, a couple of friends from from Wood that I've ran into tell me to remind me about that, which was really crazy. I mean, I was that, I guess, dedicated to just being wasted constantly. Yeah, you know? dude, that's crazy. That's probably that's probably crazy if you saw one of those too. But you know, now days if you sure. saw one, like holy shit. Well, because you get so entrenched in it, you know, you get so Definitely. it's so like rooted in this like uh, this lifestyle. And, um, like I was telling you, you know, before we started the show, it just progresses at such a rapid rate for some people that before you know it, you're in a, a deep, dark place that you never thought you could ever even imagine being in. Um, Absolutely. so what, what kind of did it for you? What was the final, you know, the final straw for you that, that you were just like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. Well, it was, I want to say the beginning of, um, sophomore year one of my friends who was like one of like the, the rocker kids whatever he actually died I don't remember his name was Sam and dude it's terrible that I can't remember his last name right now but it was so long ago but he used to give us rides everywhere and he had a truck and he died uh, drinking I think he drank like a bunch of booze and fell asleep in the bathtub really and, yeah and they never decided and he went to Wilsey Wood too back then and they never decided if he you know if he had killed himself or if it was an accident but you know later in life I I realized drinking like that, you're definitely trying to kill yourself either way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and that was, that hit us. I think it hit the whole group really hard, but especially me, as far as like, where was I going? Like, was I the next teenage kid, you know, to, to, to be at a funeral before my toys and graduate before I even know, like, you know, I haven't even had sex yet for God's sake. What did I know about life, dude? You know, yeah. What was I trying to escape from? It was it was a big part of it. There was that, and then, like I said before, like getting into punk rock and, and hardcore, like I did. There was there was so many people with so many positive messages, and I was hearing way more and more about like, you know, the straight edge movement and, and making friends with people that were straight edge. Even though I drank, they weren't judgmental of me, and I always thought that was a big deal. And so I'm telling you right now, like the weirdest thing happened. I I, I was planning a night that was going to be like my you know, Justin gets, like, sober night or whatever. And I think it was a big party in the backyard, like I always have with my parents and stuff. Oh, yeah, I remember. And I, I had gone to get a bunch of booze, and I put it all in my backpack. I was skating across town. I had, like, at least eight bottles of, like, Mad Dog and probably a couple 40s in the backpack. So it was way a shit ton. I'm skating across town, and at this intersection, this cop pulls a U really fast and comes over like he's going to come talk to me. And so I'm flipping out because you know what the back of the police department can be like at times. And uh, I fall off my board straight onto my back. So glass shards are in me and I'm covered in booze, just dripping <laughs> wet. Holy the cop shit. drives right past me, doesn't even stop to talk to me. And I limp all the way home, bloody and gross, covered in like dirt and, and alcohol. And I remember all the kids, like Justin Morris and all these other kids that I knew were like, dude, what the fuck happened to you? I'm like, uh, a sign. Because I'm telling you, yeah. I'm never touching this shit again. I was like, people dying, this stuff happening to me, like me just kind of feeling out of control, which is weird because I feel like a lot of teenagers at that age already feel out of control. They don't need booze to be thrown in the mix. It's like already a really strange time in your life, you know? Yeah. And it, uh, 
it all just came to a head, and I was like, that's it. Cold turkey, I'm never touching any of this shit ever again. And at that time, I was, you know, I was smoking weed with my older brother. Um, people was, like, smoking chewies. Like, you know what chewies are, by the way? Oh, yeah. So people were smoking chewies like it was no big deal. <laughs> yeah, that was and, very. That was a very popular thing at the time. I mean, it you know it the, was. Yeah. It really was. And you know, when you think back about it now, it's like that's gross. Like, what were we oh, all yeah. thinking? For for those who don't know, a chewy is uh, it's it's a blunt with with weed in it, and then you sprinkle some cocaine on top of it, and you smoke it. Not very good for you. <laughs> no, definitely not. Especially when you're doing like two or three of them in a night. Like, oh man, it's all fucked up. It's all bad. So. But I said goodbye that night to it and never looked back. And that was, dear Lord, I'm, I'm 35 now and I was uh, 17 then. Wow, man. So, it's, holy shit. So you have, uh, what's that? 18? I'm trying to do math in my head. My math sucks. Yeah, me too. I'm like, uh, <laughs> like, forever it's like, ago. Wait, 28? So, 30, yeah, 18 years? That's 18 years of sobriety, man. Congratulations on that, dude. That's, that is. It's fucking insane, dude. It's just, it's so crazy, though, that you, you literally had an experience of being, uh, covered in booze and dirt and mud and just, and then, you know, I think the important thing, too, is I think we've all known, um, you know, we all have friends and we all have family who we've either lost to the disease of alcoholism and addiction or people who are so that we care about that are so entrenched in it that it not only affects their lives but it affects the lives of the people that love them and that care about them and um you know it sounds to me like like that was something even at the young age of 17 that you were able to uh kind of connect with and say you know what i I don't want to go down that same path and uh that's that's a pretty cool thing to do at such a young age you know yeah i mean i mean there's there was kids too that like I was kicking with that I thought were really cool, but then they ended up they were they were so down with, with all the drug culture stuff that they would drop out of high school and these guys are like not even make it to their junior year, and I'm I'm already thinking to myself like fuck no like back of those like not my future you know and in my mind it was the small town and I was trying to escape that whole thing and if anything was going to hold me back it was definitely going to be just getting constantly fucked up and not moving forward you know, but like like we were talking about earlier before. Music was such an inspiration, like such a huge inspiration to like get out because traveling to see these other bands play in these other cities was like, that was my dream. Like, I need to do that. I need to play in front of groups of people. I, you know, I need to meet these guys. I need to go out and see what's out there. And uh, it's funny because so many musicians at the time, like even now, you know, are just constantly getting fucked up. But it just so happened that the scene, you know, that I was in the most, the hardcore scene at that time, it was almost all sober people, which blew yeah. my mind because they were insane, you know? So, and I'll tell you, you know, it's funny, it's like you brought up Link 80 as well. Man, when Nick Trainer died, that was a big, that was a shock to everyone. Everyone. So young and so much energy, and we'd all seen him play like a million times. I'm like, we loved that band. And we, you know, we didn't know him like really personally, but we knew him enough to like miss him and felt like we just lost a loved one when he passed away. And, there it is, drugs in your face. Like every time it's felt like every single person you cared about, whether you know, you knew them really well or not, passing away was like alcohol, drugs, alcohol, drugs, all the way down the line. So, you know. Yeah, no, the, it all added up. 
the the Nick thing was crazy, man. I remember, you know, I think I was fifteen or sixteen when he when he passed away, and uh, I remember sitting up in my bedroom and just just going over the seventeen reasons, um, the cover with they had all the lyrics printed inside, yeah, and just sitting there, dude, and just like thinking about you know just being this kid and like we're what's life all about, and you know you have all these different things going on in your life when you're young like that, and um, I remember thinking like, dude, like he 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 died of um, you know, he overdosed. I don't remember. Was it heroin right. or was it? Uh, yeah, uh, it was heroin. It was heroin. It was. And I just remember thinking, like, God, man, what a young, a young kid, you know. And he really gave out so much, and there was so much to offer the world. And this drug just took him over, and you know, took him. And that's why I think it was. It's so cool, like what you were talking about with the hardcore scene and the straight edge scene. You know, you got into it, and and that whole thing was like you said. There was already a lot of sober people involved in that, and um, like what what is the straight edge scene about? Like, go take us back, like to what it was when you first kind of got into it, and then maybe transition into what it's like now. Because from my understanding, it has changed a little bit over time, just like anything. Um, oh, yeah, but true. but what what was it like? Well, back then it was like I feel like now it's become much more of a catchphrase. But back then it was seriously something that like you know nine out of ten people had never heard of ever had no clue. You'd say yeah I'm straight and they they just you know drive you crazy asking a million and one questions. But um, like I said when I when I picked up that minor threat record forever ago. Um, they had a song called Straight Edge on there, and you, know, you read the uh-huh. lyrics, and it's like, uh, you know, don't don't smoke, don't drink. Um, my mind is open, like at least I can think, and things like that. Like, um, they had lyrics that were like, um, you know, you're just doing this because you think it looks cool. You tell me that the choices I'm making as far as being sober is concerned, like make no difference, but at least I'm fucking trying to make a difference. And reading into those, like, even at that age, I was like, well, you know, what are these guys talking about? So back then, you know, the pre-internet, obviously, you know, you couldn't just Google it up and figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I looked through the thank you list and found other bands. And through those bands, I, I read more lyrics. And then I found books. You know, I go to, to Berkeley and, and uh, check out different places, like, you know, Erica's bookstore, like, on Lower Hate and stuff like that. And you can find little things and, and uh, books that people have read, like All Ages is a, is a book about strange that was written forever ago. You start reading about it and kind of getting the history. I've always been big on, like, you know, knowing your roots. Like, don't go even a flag around until you know exactly what it is you're, you're standing for. And, uh, God, it just seemed like the most positive thing to me, you know, for, for these, these punk kids to get together and say, you know, society is looking at us like we are a joke. They're looking at us like we're junkies, and that, you know, the youth of America right now, that we're nothing like spoiled bread, like alcoholic, like drug addicts. Well, the truth of the matter is, like, a lot of us are artists and, you know, writers, and we can be inspired, and we can change the world, and we can do anything. So what if we took away the whole drug aspect of what we do and showed them that, you know, the sober way of living, that we can be just as productive? And, you know, now, now, what, now what will society say about us? If we're not off drugs, but still creating like beautiful and amazing things, you know. So I don't know. It was it was really really rare. Getting into it, I met a few with people like Mike Hood and uh, my my soon to be best friend was named Dave Yoey, and he'd already graduated high school, but he was fed. And, and we met up actually, funny enough, at a Papa Roach show because he was wearing um, or I was wearing an H two O jersey, 
Oh yeah. At the time, yeah, <laughs> nobody yeah. knew how H2O was. Yeah. Like, you had to be down, like you had to be like in the scene to know what the hell's going on. So he came up to me and said, Yo, you down with H2O? I'm like, Yeah, I love that band. He's like, What about this band? What about this band? And we were naming off hardcore bands left and right because like I said before, even the term hardcore, you know, nine out of ten people be like, Hardcore what? Like hardcore, it's a style of music. No, no, hardcore rock, hardcore rap, like no no, it's just called hardcore. And it it takes forever to describe, but you know, being surrounded by that um, I pick up zines because zines were all over the place and people don't know what zines are. You know, I think they still exist. The kids write them on a regular. But the one I picked up was um, about South America, the strange movie in South America, which pretty much blew my mind because I was seeing all the kids with the X's drawn on their hands and I just thought that was the coolest symbol ever. And uh, the article that I read um, inside of it was saying how, was describing the history of the X on the hand and, and how... Um, Back in the day, like in New York and Boston, those kind of places, kids would, or the security guards would put X's on their hands to show that they couldn't drink. Well, after a while, kid, punk rock kids started showing up with X's already drawn on their hands, showing that they do not drink. Oh, that's it became a symbol of pride. Dope, dude. That's sick, dude. I never knew that. Oh, yeah. It was, it was the coolest thing ever. So literally every show I go to, and you know, if there's 300 kids there, 280 of them would have X's on their hands, and it felt like the best thing ever. We're stage diving. You know, yeah. we're going off with circle pin, dancing around, being crazy, and all 100% sober. And at the same time, at least within the Bay Area, I felt, um, without looking down on anybody else, you know, because there were still kids there that obviously drank and, you know, they want to smoke before they go to the shows. But as far as we were concerned, that was our drug. The music was the drug, you know? Yeah. The music yeah. and the hangout, that's all we needed. We didn't need anything else to, to spice it up. So at that time, I felt like a really positive movie in my life, obviously, because you know, the support level, I think, has to be there for a lot of people. There's got to be someone cheering you on to, like, make that kind of change, especially the way a lot of us did it with, like, say, cold turkey. You know, it's like, well, there goes that, and the next day, you're done, and you never look back, you know? So to have a bunch of kids that, like, every time we went out to do anything, um, it was already, you already knew it wasn't to get drugs or anything else. It was, you know, to rock out and have fun and, you know? No, it I I totally agree, man, and it is. It's about the music, it's about the it's about the scene, it's about the brotherhood, I think too, is a good uh, a good term to use because you know, like you said, you have that support group, that that group of people, that group of friends, um, that are all doing the same you know, all kind of doing the same thing and supporting each other in doing the same thing or not doing the thing that, you know, a lot of the other younger, yeah, exactly. younger kids are doing. I'm still, I'm still just juiced, uh, on the, on the little, uh, I love learning new things, dude. And that, that little, uh, piece you shared about the kids, you know, they would draw the X on their hands so they wouldn't to the bouncers to let them know they were underage. And that's how that X of, I remember seeing that back in the day, you know, like it, uh, yeah. when we were teenagers still and shit and being like, Oh, straight edge. Okay. But it's just cool to know where that kind of evolved from. It wasn't just not some random kid woke up and said, I'm going to draw an X on my hand. There's actually like a story behind it. And that's pretty fucking cool. Um, sure. but I think at the same time, it inspired kids to ask about it. You know, yeah. people would see X on your hand and go, what the hell is that all about? And, yeah. You know, they were into it cool. If they weren't, at least you shared the information so they knew they weren't just like, you know, some weird logo that they couldn't understand, but something that actually meant something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you had mentioned Dave Yoey. I remember Dave. I, I think I met him with you a couple of times, and I know you guys started Execution Style. Is that right? That's true. So w- was that the first Was that the first hardcore band you started or that you were in? No. I actually started one other one, which is 
pretty. It was awesome because it involved uh, this one dude, Mark Rollins. I don't remember Mark. Rollins. Oh, dude, I, I just I just saw Aaron. I still talk to Aaron, um, his oh, brother. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, but yes, I do. I do remember Mark. That's crazy. I haven't heard him in a long time. So it was Mark Rollins with my little brother Derek on vocals, and it was me on drums, and we were called Suburban Menace. Suburban- and we only lasted about three shows. <laughs> That's fucking tight, though. Yeah, it's like two garage shows and then like two songs at another show, mm-hmm. and uh, that was it. <laughs> See, Mark it came over. Mark introduced me to the Dead Kennedys. I remember driving around. He had the, like this little shitty ass like Ford Fiesta, and we would drive around. And he was he was listening to California Uber Alice, and I'm just like, "What the oh, yeah. fuck is this?" Oh, it's the Dead Kennedys. Dead Kennedys. These guys are these guys are kind of tight. And you start listening to the lyrics and like the you know the whole cause of it. I'm kind of like that with you. I like to know like what. I like to know the foundation. Where did it come from? How did they evolve? Like, what is their message about? You know, and I mean, yeah, exactly. Dead Kennedys. Like, God, I mean, that's if that's not a, a message right there, I don't know what oh, is. Yeah. That's insanely political. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so, okay, so you had um, the first band with Mark and Derek, and then so that goes into you start execution style, and that was when right out of high school, uh, roughly. Yeah, pretty much. Because what happened was we had a. Um, we had uh, Matt. Oh, well, who do we have singing? We had someone singing who was not. Oh, I was on drums, and the the singer was a better drummer, and I was writing the lyrics anyway, and like the vocal patterns. So we oh, switched. God. Yeah, it was crazy. And I I had like the ultimate stage fright, but I was like, no, fuck it. We'll you know we'll do it. And yeah. This will work. And then um, Matt came in and decided to drum instead. And then we got Dave, or then Dave Yelly was in the mix. And he was our guitar player. And uh, he was like, I'm pretty sure he was the first Fridge kid in Vacuum. Um, I think yeah. that could possibly be his claim to fame. <laughs> and um, but who else got into that? And uh, I can't remember who our original bass player was, but then later on, Big Doug um, came in on second guitar, and you know that was that. We we put it together, and we kind of sounded like I don't know. It was it was like Biohazard. Kind of meets Madball. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's weird too is uh, back then my my the way I sang I sounded like a forty year old man from like Brooklyn. <laughs> and then, Was that? And, 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 and then the last bands I've been a part of, I, I sound like a little kid. Basically, the way I sing, it's it's crazy. The difference. Maybe that was yeah, the tracks for my wife and my old band. She's like, "What the hell? You sound like you're fifty. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> All low and deep. That was the e- that was the e- that was the E Town Concrete influence from <laughs> the East Coast. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah, dude. I no, I remember I remember watching Execution Style do that three oaks. That was man, dude. Just bringing it back again. Just some fun times. But you guys were you guys were good. That was uh that was like the the cusp of that whole hardcore scene in Vacaville, I think, you know? Oh yes. Yes. So, um, execution style, three Oaks community center. Uh, I, I always remember Ray Penny. Ray Penny was always there too. Oh, yeah. And shit. yeah. And, uh, just another, you know, I could talk about it all day. Good times. Um, that whole scene. Uh, I think the other thing I was thinking too, is that I think execution style at the time, as far as the Vacaville scene goes, that that started to branch out. That was kind of like a, the first hardcore band that was here, really. 
I mean, did I remember? I I, I could that's be my, wrong, that's but my thing to say, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you you really did, and you you kind of you kind of set the foundation for a lot of these hardcore bands that um that came up after and uh, still today. I know there's some around. I'm I'm not really too familiar with the whole scene or what is left of the scene here. It's it's definitely not the same as it was. Uh, but that's you know that's that's pretty cool. I think I think it's uh, I think it's it something awesome. like I, I remember. Yeah, I remember booking hooks and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and uh, oh, dude, I've, I've been li- I've been listening to Sworn Vengeance, dude, at at the gym oh, and shit. That first album, uh, dude, I, I, I like, just brought it back. I'm just like, oh wow, this shit fucking kicks ass. It's crazy, right? <laughs> you know, and, I mean, yeah. bring bring those bands out to Vacaville and have them play for kids and like had no clue, just like yeah, holy shit, this is the most aggressive craziest thing we've ever heard and then to see all the kids hardcore dancing and doing the sing-alongs it's like this is the craziest thing we've ever seen like you know what is this and uh it's funny how many kids ended up joining up well i think that's that's right too a lot of a lot of uh kids back then were just like what is this i don't know but i fucking love it like I don't, yeah, right? what it, i don't know what the hell it is but you know and then obviously you, you start figuring it out the more you come around but um Gods of War, Sworn Vengeance. That's got to be yeah. one of the best songs, dude. Um, For sure. So, are you are you actively um, still with Alcatraz? Or I know you were playing stand up bass for a minute when we kind of talked a while back. Um, what are what new projects are you working on, or or what upcoming um, shows or events or anything do you have? I mean, that's it for me. Like as far as uh, learning anything new, I'm still trying to. I hope one day to be really good at stand up bass. If my daughter will give me a second to like uh, <laughs> get away and you know, but sometimes you gotta know, make those decisions. But uh, yeah, Alcatraz is still playing. We just played not that long ago like, at uh, 94 Gilman, which you know that's where Lincoln and all the hood bands. Oh yeah. And then um, with uh, the band Soul Control, which was awesome, really good fun show. And then, um, hopefully, if everything works out right, we'll be doing uh, maybe a couple shows in South America with Comeback Kid. Really? Every night. Yeah. Oh, that... Our, our last tour, like little mini tour we did was with uh, Earth Crisis, actually, and that was South America as well. You know, I think I saw a flyer for that. I was looking um, I was looking on Facebook, and I think there was a flyer on the Alcatraz uh, site on there. Yeah, we've been everywhere. You know, what, you know what's funny, too? And you talk about like, the old uh, SC and South days? Like, Big Doug went on to go and be in terror. Dave Yelly went on to be in Hoods and then Set Your Goals. Like, we all, like, yeah, uh, all branched you know? out to different... Right, we, uh, we grew out of this little, like, band that we started in high school, and the next thing you know, like, a bunch of us are touring all over the world and getting into crazy shit and meeting kids everywhere, and it's awesome. It It really is. I mean, because how... How great is that to just widen your perspective on life? You know, just set the music and everything aside. Um, just meeting new people, different cultures, um, different different ways of society, different uh, places, you know. And that all stemmed from this, you know, little town and this little scene. Um, and for a lot of you guys, being sober too, being in your right mind, being able to, being able to do what you do and still not only um, gain the respect of other people, but respect yourselves and respect the things that, that you're doing because you know you're making the right decisions and you're making the next right decisions. Um, and, and that kind of leads into to one, one thing I, that I wanted to ask you is what, what, would you, what would you say to some of the younger, some of the younger kids out there that might be listening to this um, uh, just about the lifestyle of of living a sober lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle, a happy lifestyle, and and being being respected by others and respecting yourself. 
What's some advice you could give to them? Um, I mean, really, I've always felt like, like you know, people use the term like I'm true to myself or, you know, I, I have complete control of my life. And um, the, the fact of the matter is, is once you start taking things to like quite literally escape reality or change your perception on reality, you are not yourself. You know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you want to be true, if you want to see life for all its beauty, um, the power is within you without drugs or alcohol. And it's not that I'm, you know, calling people out or want to be judgmental, but the truth of the matter is um, the respect you have for the world around you and the things you do every day, it grows greater and greater once you learn to, like, live in, in the reality that's given to us, you know? Mm-hmm. There's, there's something about accepting the beauty for what it is and not trying to think about how you can enhance it or how you can escape it because... Um, everything I deal with life and now, like, you know, the ups and downs of everything, I deal with on my own terms. I don't go to a bottle because I've had a bad day at work. Yeah. Um, you know, if, when my heart got broken, you know, in my younger days, like, it wasn't up to a pill to try to make me get through it. I came through it on my own, and I came through stronger. So I guess my best advice is, like, if you really want to learn how to deal with the ups and downs of life, like, um, you can really come out on top through a, through a sober way of, of living and being and, it's not that I'm. Uh, I think that I'm better than anyone else. It's just that um, it's just a different perspective, you know, uh, altogether. And I think it's a very positive one. I think it's something that can be passed on to a lot of different people because the some people, yeah, they they can handle the that way of life. They can literally every once in a while go to a bar, have a couple drinks with friends. It's not a big deal. But I can tell you right now, like it's not what you see with the majority of the population, especially in the media and whatnot. Like all you see is like spring break type. You know, groups just there to get trashed, just yeah. completely get obliterated and just forget about everything they've done. And for them, it's not a social thing. It's not a every once in a while. It's their lives. They can't handle life. They are completely trying to escape every chance they get. And it's no longer becomes a fun thing. So my advice would be, like, really know exactly what you're getting into. I, you know, I, as well, like, a lot of... Um, people like to get into arguments with straight edge for whatever reason. I've been through it my whole life, so like I, I know. Um, really educate yourself on everything as far as like knowing what you what you're waving a flag against. Like, you know, if you're not gonna drink and you're not gonna do certain things, know what the cause and effect are of those things. So you can literally have a educated like discussion with someone. If they re- if they really want to, you know, go back and forth on it, let them know what the damage it'll do scientifically, you know. Um, but it, let them know everything down the line that might happen to them that, that draws, you know, directly to their previous actions, like when they were younger, like the effects of booze or whatever else it's going to be, because those things matter, and those things give you a better a better chance of not really ahead of people, but to really have a sit-down, educated discussion with them. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with that. You, you definitely got to educate yourself. You definitely have to know um, the, the lifestyle that you want to, that you want to live and why, you know, you're, you're going to choose to live that lifestyle and the educated discussion with people, like you said, um, you know, cause people are going to ask people question people, people don't know, they don't understand. And I think a lot of people want to be sober. I think a lot of people want that lifestyle of, um, being able to deal with their reality, being able to deal with the ups and the downs of life. Um, but a lot of people are just, are, are scared to, I know I was, I know I was very scared to, to make that admission that I'm an alcoholic, that I'm an addict and that there's, you know, there's more to it than that though. It's not just that I love to drink. Yeah. I love to drink and get fucked up, but I also love to not deal with reality. I love to 
um, to leave, you know, the, these things behind and let my mind go off into some distant, far off place where I don't have to deal with anything, you know? And so in order, in order for us to really come to terms with that, um, you know, and make that decision of which path we want to go down. I think it really starts with honesty and being honest with ourselves and taking a good look in the mirror and saying, you know, look, this, this is me. This is who I am today. And who do I want to be tomorrow? Who do I want to be for the rest of my life? Who do I want to be to my kids, to my wife, you know, to my family? Um, and man, just, um, I, you know, you, you, you really hit it on the head as far as wanting to, escape reality by using alcohol and drugs because that's that's really what it is people just don't want to deal with the things in life and it's not easy i mean i'm sure you'll attest to that i think a lot of people also make the uh the mistake of thinking that oh well if if that person's sober their life must be great and all wonderful and dandy and they think they're better than everyone well i can tell you right now that is not the fucking case i have my bad days i have my good days I have my things with my wife, with my kids, with my family. I have everything um, just the same as, you know, her or him or whoever. But the only difference is, is just like you said, is that I get to choose um, to make the choice to deal with it in a, in the right state of mind, you know, in, on a, on a real state of mind. And that's something that, uh, that I'm, I'm pretty proud to say these days, you know. I've, I've tried to communicate to people before, like, it's not a negative way to, to, to think about things because what I'm really trying to explain it is that you are you are strong enough. You're stronger than most people would have you believe. Yeah. And you can deal with these things on your own. Mm-hmm. Literally. Like, you know, you'd like to think maybe some, every once in a while you feel like you're weak or whatever, especially when it comes to like addiction or whatnot. But the truth is you can overcome it and you can be twice as strong as, as you know, society or the media or anyone who wants to betray you. And that goes for everyone, you know? There's so many kids that say, oh, I wish I could do that. You could do that. There's a, there's a song by a band called Bane called Superhero, mm-hmm. and um, one of the lyrics is, the, the, the singer sings is, um, there is nothing within me that you cannot do. There's nothing within myself that you do not have. Um, I'm not a superhero, you know? And that's that's legitimate for everyone that, that chooses, like, a sober way of, of, like, living. Like, there's nothing superhero about it. There's no, I wish I could do that. You could do that. You yeah. have the power to do that. You know, because you're strong as an individual, and people should give themselves more credit, I guess, you know? You know what else is funny, too, that I was thinking about is there's so many kids, like, do you remember Clay Babel? I do. I do, yeah. Clay swore that all the way up to, like, 2000, and I don't even know what, that I was drunk. And (laughs) he always would swear it, because he's like, no way, you were, like, the craziest guy at the parties, and I know you always had a bottle. A lot of people didn't realize I would go to Safeway and get Martinelli's sparkling apple cider, uh-huh. and I would take it to parties every time. <laughs> and that's because I got tired of people asking me if I wanted a drink or yeah. how, or asking me why I wasn't drinking. Yeah. So it was either, either that or I'd get a bottle of Sprite, like a big giant two-liter Sprite, and I'd walk around with that at parties constantly, and people would just assume that I'd spiked it with something. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, no, dude, you used to be wild. You used to go crazy and dance and do all crazy shit like, yeah, that was me. That was 100% me. There's no booze involved. I was just party animal having a good time on Sprite or sparkling apple cider, whichever I, I decided on. So, I don't know. That's always been a fun thing I like to tell people about. Well, yeah, because in other words, though, you can still go... You know, there, there's a lot of fun to still be had with being sober. And I know that was one of the things that I was really scared of. Like when I, when I started like considering like maybe I, I, I should quit, maybe I need to quit. Um, 
it was that thing. Well, everything, and that was partly because everything that I did revolved around drinking, whether it was a birthday party, whether it was, you know, going out for the night, going to dinner, uh, no matter what it was, you know, it, it always revolved around drinking. So that thought of, well, what the hell am I going to do? I mean, you really have to reform and reshape the lifestyle that you live. Um, and it, it's, it's crazy because it's the majority. It's the majority of society. It's, you know, if you go out to have fun, alcohol is automatically in most people's minds as part of the fun that's going to go down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, like you were touching on earlier tonight, and I, I always feel like I need to say this because, um, it's not that like I'm looking down on anybody or judging anybody. There's a lot of people that can responsibly have a few drinks out there. And, um, you know, I'm not one of them and there's a lot of people who, who aren't one of them either. And they can't, you know, because it just, you know, we end up doing stupid things and it just, it just doesn't work for us. There's something, you know, something wrong. And, uh, you know, as much as anyone else, like I go out with the monster squad kids and everybody else drunk ass people on a regular basis and they'd be partying. And I swear, you know, my goal was either to drive them home safe yeah. Make sure they didn't get arrested or make sure maybe <laughs> I was that guy that said, Hey man, you've had too much already, man. Put you know, put that bottle down. And if I could be a positive, you know, force even in that way, then, you know, I felt good about it. But yeah. there was never never ever a time in my life where I was like, Fuck you, you drink, I'm not around you, fuck you, you know, you're smoking, I'm not gonna hang out with you. Because that's just ridiculous, man. You know, life's not about trying to trying to be better than anyone else, but that that's why this whole thing, you know, like like us talking right now and everything, it's, it's such a, an individual choice, and you know that's why I thought it was a. Uh, I was super excited when you hit me up, talking on him because you know everyone's out there. Some someone out there needs to hear it. Yeah, just to know that you know it's not an impossible thing, and they're not alone, and, and the whole idea and that life is really good on the on the other side. It really is. It is, and I, I'm really glad that you brought that up because. Uh, it it is important for people to hear, you know, just the conversation that you and I are having and just some other opinions. Like it's, um, you know, it's okay to, to live, to live a life, you know, clean and sober. Like it's, it's, it's okay to do it and it's okay to talk about it too, which is one of the reasons that I started, you know, this show was one for my own therapeutic reasons and to, to keep my line of communication open. Cause that's one of my defects is I tend to shut down and I don't want to talk about things. Well, if I'm doing a show, I'm forced to talk about things and it's not so much by force. I guess now I really enjoy to do it. Uh, but I also get to bring uh, people I don't know and uh, my friends on like yourself who, you know, have their own opinions and their own views and their own valuable information to share with other people. I mean, if this, if this, what we're talking about right now helps one kid out there who know, you know, who might be struggling and maybe it's, or maybe it helps a person who's not struggling themselves, but it helps them understand uh, somebody that they love out there. You know, one of their parents or a brother or a sister or a friend helps them understand a little bit about what that person might be going through and struggling with. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate goal here. So um, yeah, I awesome. mean, I, I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to come on and, and talk about it, uh, with us tonight. Um, is there anywhere that, um, that you could, you could give to the listeners out there if they'd like to find you, if they'd like to look up, uh, any of, um, any of your shows, any of your music, um, any, anything out there where they could get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the last record was called, um, smile now, cry later. So if you Google search Alcatraz, smile now, cry later or put it into YouTube. I think the whole album comes out is, is up there. And 
it's a million free downloads like everywhere. But if you want a physical copy, unfortunately, and this is going to sound weird, but you got to get it from Europe or Japan, I think is the only two places where it came out, which I know sounds batshit crazy, but those are, for a while there, those are the only two places where you're going out to play, so... It's pretty fucking dope, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's just that's pretty fucking cool. Like, you can't get it here. You got to go to Japan to get that shit. <laughs> yeah, and Australia too. It came out Australia. Australia. Wow. For well, all these kids in America being like, uh, "How come we can't get the record here?" It's like, uh, "Sorry, <laughs> we didn't yeah. put it out here, but it's available everywhere else in the whole world, literally." <laughs> so, yeah, oh, it's cool. rad. But that, that, that's the main spot to go, and then. Uh, what else can I think of? Our okay. hashtag, if, you, if we hashtag anything, is AlcatrazHC. So if you want to look up photos of us playing shows or any crazy shit that we're getting into, that's usually the spot. Um, my guitar player, Manuel, just started a new band called Chains. And uh, they're already like, they're like blowing up already, which is crazy. What is it? Uh, chains or change? Chains. Chains? Chains like, a, you know, like I'm chained to a, I don't know what. Got it. <laughs> I don't know, Got it. I'll have but, to um, check that out. He's another one, too, like, uh, you know, I've known him for forever, and he's also a father, and he's also straight edge, and so is, I think, half that band, and, you know, there, there's more than a few of us, so, you know, I I used to think I was the minority, but the older yeah. I get, the more I run into more more, more dudes that are getting, like, you know, late 30s, early 40s, and they got kids, and they're still straight edge, and we're all just plugging along, making music, and loving life, you know, so that's pretty rad. Yeah, that is, man. I, well, you know, you just you just gain perspective as you get older, I think, and you start looking at, especially when you have kids too, you know, you start looking at life in a whole new perspective. And when you're young, you think you're going to live forever. You know, you think that there's sure. there's you're invincible, really. And um, you start getting older and, and you start realizing that, man, like life is precious and life is short. And these little sure, times man. that that I was taking to, you know, to, to be partying and away from my, my daughter and you know, it's just like I'm. I, I would never get that time back. You know, I would never. I would never do that. Um, you know, if or I would never be able to get that back if I if I continued to to do that. You know, so it's just uh, it's nice to be able to have that perspective. Uh, I also wanted to say too, check out. I lost my hat or ju- what is it? Uh, Justin, I yeah, lost Justin, my hat. <laughs> yeah, see, Justin told me to look this up like shortly before we did the interview tonight, and. Uh, he basically is is at a live show and there's a there's a pretty big nice little pit going on and kids are hardcore dancing and going fucking crazy and he pretty much stops the show because uh, some kid jumps on his back and loses his like um, like his hat in there and I don't want to ruin it but it's pretty funny so check it out. I mean, I, I guess for my, my my like last two cents is any any mainstream documentaries done on straight edge just completely ignore them. They are just it's just like it's like the it's like the worst propaganda like bullshit I've ever seen. They'd like to make us out like we're a gang. We are actually on gang like straight edge kids are on gang file all across the world. Really? It's insane. Yeah, it's insane. So, you know, it's bad apples anywhere, man. It's like a group of skaters get together, if a bunch of those skaters start beating people up, skaters are a gang. A bunch of taggers get together, if taggers start beating people up, they're a gang. You know, and everybody wants to get labeled for the bad apples that are involved in the group, but I'll tell you what. Hard, or hardcore and straight is a non-violent movement. And anyone that tells you otherwise is just a bullshit bully. And, uh, you know, they got no place in the scene because punk rock is for everybody. And, and anyone that says otherwise is a dick. Cause <laughs> it's just not the way it is. So and if you want to look into straight and, and see what it's all about, go back to the source. Look up bands like Minus Threat and Teen Idols and, you know, Slapshot and some of these other bands. And um, really read lyrics. And, you know, even with bands like Earth Crisis, they got... Labeled pretty early on, 
as like you know tough guys, like hardcore straight militant guys, but it's really not what they're about. And if you read their lyrics, I was actually fortunate to tour with them a couple times, once in Japan, and um, some of the nicest guys I've ever met. And just you know, really focusing on the positivity. It's just what they do as far as being straight fans goes. They're really just trying to send a positive message. Whether or not you want to accept it is up to you. But they feel good with themselves to so like spread the word, just like you're doing with this podcast, you know. So don't be so quick to judge when you see a strange kid and think, oh, that guy's a judgmental dickhead, because <laughs> it's just not the case. Well, that goes back to just what you were saying earlier. Do your homework. Do your research. Exactly. Study a little bit. Learn. Knowledge is power. The more you learn, the For more sure. valuable your conversation is going to be, your peace of mind is going to be, and uh, your value to yourself is going to be, too. Um, Absolutely. Uh, if you want to get any more information um, as far as this episode goes, as far as the band Alcatraz goes, uh, if you have any questions, comments for the show, uh, please email me, sobriety at that sober guy.com. Um, Justin, thanks again for coming on, dude. And uh, I hope to do it. This has been another episode of That Sober Guy Podcast on Recovery Radio with Shane Rayner. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com or you can email Shane at sobriety at thatsoberguy.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy a sober, healthy, happy life.